RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 5, Episode 10, Hole in the Sky Memo, May 11th, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. And welcome back, Star Trek fans, all you background fans, all of you Star Trek canonistas. Yes, I say that lovingly. Hey, I hope we have a lot of Star Trek crossover science buffs. If you saw what's coming down the pike this week, and if you've been with us in recent episodes... We're going to dive back into the science pile again this week with a good guest, a returning guest. So look, pull up a chair. Take a look at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. You know, you should know the routine right now. If you're a true trekophile, you know to go to Facebook, find the documents of the week. We've got a sample coming up here. Then stick around, come right back, and I'll welcome back this week's guest. good friend passed along this short transcript from a network TV news show, 2020, in reference to the growing problem with ozone holes above the poles. It's frightening, but intriguing, and few things could pose a larger problem to old planet Earth than this one. I'm not sure how we might use this problem in a Star Trek The Next Generation story, but I think we should try. Well, yes, Trekophiles. Remember the, some of you remember the ozone layer, the hole? That was actually a case where we had a science, a science scare crisis, and the world actually pulled together. You know, in the meantime, Herb Wright here, who was a, a writer on um, Early Next Generation and then came back to the fore and was actually working on a reboot of uh, Quester, Gene's Project Quester, when he suddenly passed before his time. But Herb was a good guy. And like all Star Trek people, was on the lookout for contemporary science that they could <laughs> desperately use for those 26 scripts a year as a, as a springboard point. So who better to bring back and have with us again this week when we're talking science and we're talking stories is our good friend, Dr. Aaron McDonald. Aaron, thanks oh. so much for coming back with us. Oh, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. This is going to be fun. <laughs> well, this is a very simple memo from Herb to Gene. It's the kind of thing that happened all the time. It's, this is, it's happened in the 60s. We've had documents with Dorothy and uh, staff finding topics for Gene and staff to write about in the 60s. And here's the 80s. And we, between our globalization of communication and our avalanche of, of science fiction and media, there's a, big, uh, there's, a, there's a big hunger for some relevant science. And a people that whole rip from the headlines is, is something. And, of course, all through Next Gen and all through the shows since and now even – um, even in the world of serialized storytelling, there are themes that come from, as we've seen here lately, but there's still one-off science moments. Uh, that, so as a science advisor, we should say, we, we enjoy you for being the science advisor for the modern treks, including the animateds, for those who didn't hear our earlier episode with you. But in the, in the line of, uh, of science advisors over the years, Jesko von Puttkammer and Harvey Lynn, and then our, and our friends Narain Shankar and Andre Bermanis, and now you here on Star Trek especially. You're always looking for something to – I mean, you know, there's the react to our script part of the job. But do you, do you get excited about looking around and seeing something? And, and if no, you don't see it coming from the script pile, say, hey, guys, guys, 
you know, you have to develop the relationship. But at some point, do you get excited about topics that you think would be great scripts? And yeah, how does that work for you? Oh, absolutely. And it's a, like you said, a lot of it's born out of the relationships. It's being comfortable enough to write a memo <laughs> or, or however we do it these days um, and just say, hey, I saw this in the news. You might have seen this or I've seen this coming down the pipe on the scientific world in my scientific community. And uh, you might want to think about this. And here are maybe some ideas, but, you know, that's my job is to just kind of throw it down there. If they bite, great. If not, no worries. But it's it's about being that thread between the writers and the creatives to the scientific community. I just, from my background, still keep in touch with a lot of a lot of that world. And so I see stuff coming down and I see headlines that the writers might not necessarily have picked out as anything spectacular or anything interesting or story worthy. Right. Well, there's levels to that. There's there's a lot of, you know, academic journals that may be really esoteric that they're never going to see. There may be mainstream news reporting that they they stumble into or it's in their face. Uh, you know, Herb's talking about the ozone. I, mean, I don't know if you remember that or not, but I, I remember it going by. I was actually, you know, we all had, that's when aerosol cans went away, right? And everything went to just yep. organic spray bottles and things, or pr for the most part. And I was always kind of amazed because it was, it was, you know, the cynical 80s and 90s. And we actually, the world pulled together and the U.S. led, and we actually did this. And we closed up the ozone hole pretty much, the, or the man-made damage to it. It was like one of those, oh, look. We can do something if we use our brains and we science right. it and we get the popular leaders to, you know, the, the people's, the political leaders to get behind with the scientists and all act as one. And it's really sad because, um, um, you know, I say sad, dramatically sad because, gosh, that was the 80s, 90s. And too bad there's been no inspiring science crises in the last few years to <laughs> springboard stories, right? It's, uh, right. it's really desperate <laughs> out there looking for inspiration. Yeah, no, no kidding. It's funny because even though I have a space background, uh, my father is actually an air quality consultant. So I grew up, I mean, I was young with the ozone hole thing, but I I could say chlorofluorocarbons way <laughs> before a lot of other words. So I definitely was aware of that. But what's interesting with this Momo is this was sort of that first conversations about it started to make the rounds and we hadn't solved it, and it was mm -hmm. a, a crisis, or at least one that we thought would be coming down the pipe. And uh, and the idea that even without this sort of feel-good, we-came-together type of story that we like to tell from Star Trek, this is sort of the, the precursor. This is saying, this is a crisis, and there might be applications. Say Next Generation mold. What, now that I think about it, this is like your classic B story for a Next Gen episode. You know, the characters are doing something in their face. Meanwhile, we have to divert and help these poor planet with two of their, their two token lead scientists are on view screen talking about the crisis they've got to fix. Oh, we've got a, you know, we've got a radioactive sun. We've got radioactive trash. We've got right. an earthquake out of control. It's tectonic, you know. It's like it's the planet of the week's problem, which kept, you know, Earth and Vulcan are all safe. Right. <laughs> We're going to go help the planet of the week. But sometimes it was a bigger situation than that. And uh, well, I, and I think, yeah. yeah, thematically, this speaks to that idea of being trapped on a planet. And that's that planet of the week, right? That we're fine on Earth and Vulcan and all these because we can get off of our planet. But those poor suckers, <laughs> they got nowhere to go. <laughs> And somehow they must have rudimentary space flight or else we wouldn't be in contact with them unless that's part of the problem, too, is, you know, right. it's uh, Drama 4 and poor little golden-skinned uh, Sharjanka. We can't tell her that we're <laughs> going to rescue her world and pen pals. 
Right, exactly. Um, so I don't. So are, let's just talk about this. Is there a short? Um, is there a short form of like top? I mean, we, yeah, the big two right now would obviously be coronavirus and and probably climate science. Yeah. But within those big topics and, and other aspects, is there something that's top of mind for you right now that you would love to, if you could, drop, you know, a letter over to, to Alex or to any of the showrunners <laughs> right now and say, guys, if you're just even a B story, maybe here's something. Right. I think it really depends on the type of um, theme that the shows are, are striking, that if you want a story with, like, more optimism or you want it to be more science-focused or... I mean, we saw that, too, in the 90s track, transitioning from TNG to DS9 and to Voyager. There were very thematically different-feeling shows. And so... For me, I will always be a space nerd in my core. <laughs> so if I get I'm sure. <laughs> So if I get messages, you know, from writers who are just like, Hey, we need to make something dangerous in space, I'm on it. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, let me roll up my sleeves and let me send you something. Um and then for me too personally, I didn't work on this show, but you know, there's there are some other sci-fi shows out there especially if they throw in gravitational waves these days which star trek did once (laughs) (laughs) um i because that's my that was what my phd was in so i'm always gonna if i can work that into a script people will know that's got aaron written all over it (laughs) well now okay sidebar here has something changed in gravitational science the last since the since the 90s and the tng high point i thought i heard some people talking recently about the science around gravitons and gravity fields and waves and all that has that that next gen looks dated now for those in the know that know this right so the the idea was is that without turning this into a science lecture because that's not what we're here for (laughs) well i have you here in a 50 words or less yeah yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean, the big thing The big thing was that Einstein 100 years ago thought that ripples could happen in space-time, and that was a, a solution for gravity, is that trampoline, that space-time trampoline, and that there would be ripples in it called gravitational waves. And those were theoretical until 2016, when they announced a detection of ripples in space-time from colliding black holes. Tying that to Star Trek... There is a TNG episode where they encounter the gravitational wave fronts and physically ride them as if they're bobbing on waves. And that's not how gravitational waves work. But believe me, I work it into every gravitational waves talk I can. <laughs> is that the soliton wave? Is that what that was? That actually... Or is that something different? I'm just off the top of my head here. That's a different one, but it's oh, around... It's like the same season. They were definitely mining a lot of a lot of technobabble for that one. Well, we have to... We just, we'll just blame Andre and Narain for those. Um, right. And not knowing 30 years of uh, hindsight to come, or 20 years. Let's not get ahead. So is uh, so those are... Yeah, that's the theoretical end, the fun, let's go explore this. And I, and I should say, too, Rick and... Um, Rick Sternbach and Mike Akut. I don't know if you have you ever gotten to see the Tech Manual Writers Guides. They had a couple of pages oh, yeah. where they laid out, I mean, from the next gen. I think he called it a celestial bestiary, and they would say, "Guys, guys, if you ever had two stars like ripping off matter from a star to a planet, and like it's just something, it's eye candy, and the visual effects guys can pull it off. Here's a real thing that could happen. Or you need a scientist to go study a thing that's still relevant 300 years from now. Here's a. I mean, do you have? Um, either crisis science or something like that that's, again, top of mind for you that you'd say, hey, let's... Yeah, for me, I think it's always... Death from space is always fun. (laughs) 
I've heard your talks, Aaron. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> but, you know, so, yeah, I mean, things like gamma ray bursts, you know, these spectacular events that we have no control over that are incredibly damaging. But then the problem with story writing in this Star Trek realm is when you talk about death from space, it's probably fatal. <laughs> and so, and unavoidable and likely unpredictable. So, Nowhere to run to. Right, right. So trying to find ways to find crises that we would see coming that can be averted, that can be changed, um, kind of as you mentioned that lends that tends to lend itself more to like a human made thing than necessarily just some celestial event because you would think with the technology it would either they wouldn't be able to predict it and it would happen instantaneously or they have some technology to get out of the way um so there really isn't a ton there star trek has done a great job over the decades of mining a lot of great interesting astrophysical phenomenon um and i love it and, and not their fault that the science changes 20 years later or somebody comes up with a new – no, no, that formula. Like recently when they, they redefined the width of the – just the Milky Way from 100,000 to 200,000. I was like, right, what is that? What? Right. what does that mean? And I did a fun thing with plates on, on Tuesday's Live where it was like – no, it's not like nice. the quadrants all – because it basically, they just extended the, they extended the definition. So the core is still the same relative distance. It's, it's kind of like the solar system. We're just expanding our – our concept of our solar system further out, but the planets are still the same distances. Yeah. It's just our defining what what we're thinking of as the as the de- as yeah. the term. Yeah, the edge states. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah. Around the edges, our edges just got further away. Yeah, our territorial yeah. waters just got extended by treaty, <laughs> our own treaty. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess it would be too sport. Have you gotten to do any of this with? I'm trying to think where you where did you come into the mix with discovering yeah. Picard? So nothing I have worked on has aired yet. <laughs> which is right. great for me. <laughs> Just have to sit on this for so long. Right. Um so you'll start to see stuff that I worked on. Um probably the first thing that will crop up is uh season three of Discovery. Um that's sort of gonna be the first stuff that I've been able to stick my fingers in. And um now because I've been brought on after they had already sort of you know, wrapped the majority of seasons one for Picard and Lower Decks. I'll be on season two for those as well, if they want me. And this is the thing. And we've seen this in science memos. They don't have to take my notes. No one has to call me. <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason it's called consulting and advising. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right, right, right. So it, so as we finally get to see some discovery for season three, we'll, you'll be in that avalanche of people that say, yay, this was my show. And it was, or this was my bit in tonight's show. And, right. Okay. Because I expect to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I won't shut up about it. Um, we'll we'll but get yeah, you in the historic I, record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do, I really like this memo because I think it shows that other side of the relationship of the consulting. The one we talked about before was more of like, hey, we've written the script. Make sure we didn't say anything wrong. This is the other side of saying, hey, I've found something you might want to use and throwing it over the fence to the writers. This is the blue sky mining here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, listen, this is so fascinating. It's so great. I love how we're bridging Herb Wright in 1987 and right here the damn season we're all waiting on if the corona would get out of the way. Um, and to hear that Jeff Russo's individually recording orchestra 
uh, instrumentalists to get the thing done so we can finally get Discovery out for this new season is, is awesome news. A little science going on there to get our Star Trek to us. Yes, indeed. Thank goodness for technology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, I know um, this has been so much fun, Aaron, and we definitely want to have you back down in the future if you'll come. Oh, of course. Anytime. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Hey, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles, of course. And for more great podcasts, chat podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Portal 47 and Dr. Trek. That's me. At LarryNimacek.com. Track well, everybody. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.